0: Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast. I'm Ross Kenyon. This is a Nori internal bonus episode. So I am here with the product team of Nori. We did one of these back in April of 2019. Yeah, Yeah, so we should probably be doing these a little bit more often. We did some bonus episodes around the lightning sale uh, in the fall. And that gets kind of a similar vibe here. We caught people up on what is happening at Nori. But we want to do another one because a lot's been happening on the technical side. And that is why we are here. So thank you for joining me, uh, Nori product team all four of you.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. I guess how should we do this? Maybe walk down the line. (laughs) Yeah. There was debate whether or not we should use a soundboard and incorporate that into this ultimately decided against.
2: Yeah. I don't know. There's still time. We're all at the start of the podcast. That's uh,
1: our director of product speaking, who is uh, the one distracting us all with a soundboard. That's right.
0: That's that's (laughs) really my, my, that's what I try to do day to day. They're allowed to be be insubordinate during the podcast. (laughs) Once it's over, I don't know what happens to you,
3: but Yeah, so
0: floggings begin.
2: Uh, So uh, we'll just go around the table. I'll kick it off. Uh, Michael Leggett, director of product.
1: Uh, Jacob, product design. Uh, Jason Horton, kind of leading up the engineering side. (laughs) Who are you, Richie? Oh, sorry, I was... (laughs) waiting for my intro music oh. <laughs> this guy
4: i knew he was going to be trouble
0: on the show so
4: okay richie what do you got uh yeah long time nori not first time <laughs> podcaster so it's good to be here do we is richie senior
0: enough to be on this episode we could just get rid of him for this, <laughs> <No. right?
4: laughs> Sorry. i will behave i promise
0: uh, Yeah, well, thank you for being here, guys. Well, I guess we're gonna split this into uh, we're gonna go seasonally, right? That's how you want to tell people I, about this. I thought.
2: Well, I, I I feel like looking back over the last year, or so yeah, we're gonna really enjoy sharing this, Mike
0: Jacob. <laughs> get real um, close, get a little close. Yeah,
2: I think looking back over the last year, that Techstar sits squarely in the middle of it, and I think it's interesting to kind of think of what was going on before Techstar. So since the last podcast through the spring and early summer. And then through Techstars and then after Techstars, you know, what did we learn out of that and, and kind of what's been happening since. And so it's, it's a real interesting kind of story arc when I look at that that way. So I thought that might be a good way to break things up into seasons of sorts.
0: Sure. Well, I guess kick us off. What's the first one here? I see Act One, last summer. Last summer.
2: Yeah, we, we've got some notes we passed out. We like to be organized on the, uh, here at Nori. Normally I do this, so it's nice that someone else did. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so last one, I think back last summer. We were, I think in general, as a mindset, there's two things that stand out at me and please anyone like try them in to add color to this. I think part of it was there was a lot of divide and conquer. So different people, different sub teams were kind of working on their corner of things and working hard, but we were all kind of working on our own thing. And it didn't feel like we were all working on the one thing because it wasn't really clear what that one thing was. There was just so much to do um, and so many different things that seemed valuable to help move things forward. And I think we were kind of thinking more of a longer arc, right? You know, we're going to launch the market, you know, in 2020. Um, and so we've got a full year and, and you know, maybe if it takes longer, it takes longer, but we should really get it done soon. But, you know, so, so I think there was just kind of thinking longer arc, people working on different things. And specifically what we were working on was we were working on like, okay, we've been working on how to get. Farmers into the app, how to collect their data, how to quantify how many tons of carbon they pull down. Well, somebody's going to turn around and buy this stuff. How is that going to work? Um, and all the thinking to that point had been there's going to be these auctions, and there's going to be this kind of spot market or first-in, first-out market. And the spot market is more dependent on the tokens, so we really should get to work on the auctions. So we were spending a bunch of time trying to build up the auctions, and we we did. We built up auctions. We did like test auctions where we'd all sign into multiple accounts at the same time and so that's a lot of what we were working on and it seemed like this seems like you know the most important thing to work on um at the time and then tech stars hit and so we'll get into what happened when tech stars hit but i'm curious if anyone else has anything to add to what that time yeah like or other things we were doing or
1: adding a little flavor there you know nori the, the topics of which we work on, you know climate change, blockchain is part of this, we have a whole bunch of like nascent topics and technologies that we work with. And so on top of that, we also have a pretty unique team where a few of us aren't from software backgrounds. a few of us you know, haven't necessarily taken products from a completely brand new idea into something that's uh, you know used by mass users. We have all these, these moving parts where we've got the unique team, the, the nascent topics. And a lot of last year was spent trying to figure out how do we how do we tackle these things? How do we build a entirely new two sided marketplace that has not existed really in this kind of shape before? So I, I think as we kind of get into this conversation, keeping that in mind is going to be kind of a, something that keeps coming up. You know, it's it's one of the things that we have to keep checking on, making sure that we're still headed in the right direction, and and all the things that we do. So,
4: and for what it's worth, like working on the auctions. That's something that is essential, I think we all agree, for our marketplace to kind of get into the place where we want it to be. But part of that realization as we were working on it was that this shouldn't necessarily be the first step we take towards building that marketplace. And that's where things started to change.
0: Well, I imagine that's true of any of any company I've made. uh, I've prioritized some things only to learn later that that was maybe not the most efficacious way to use my time (laughs) and then had to do a little bit of a pivot. That's just I I guess I've never worked on the engineering or technical side of a company like that before, but that's common, right? This happens. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then sometimes important discoveries get found out during those quote unquote mistakes too. And you never know. Yeah. I I think quote unquote is right. I mean, I think it's kind of the idea of like fail fast. Like you want
2: to, I think what's hardest about this and about our product in general is, you know, it's one of those products where it's like, not every person is necessarily the person that would use the product. So I can't necessarily just go down to Starbucks and say like, Hey, so you're going to buy, you know, tens of thousands of tons of carbon (laughs) dioxide removal in the next auction, um, on behalf of your company. Um, how would you use this interface? And they're just like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? So it's, to some extent, it's really easy when you're in that kind of product space to lean um, even more on your subject matter experts, right? The people that have been in the trenches or have worked in these spaces and really put a lot on their shoulders to direct where should this go, what should it be, and that's kind of your, short, uh, your shortcut to feedback and helping with direction and stuff. And I think that it's kind of on any product team to not go too far on that. Like that's that's a valid way to build products. But I think you still want to try to be getting like user feedback or build something even better so that users are actually using it or not using it. That's the ultimate feedback. Did, you know, people show up? Did they pay? Vote with their feet kind of thing, uh, what happened where they get stuck and how do you learn from that? So I think that that was, you know, as we zoom into kind of Techstars, the big pivot that happened, if we're going to jump there, I'm going to jump there because I think that's where it gets interesting is we were asking people to kind of take on too much like new concepts all at once so like we were really kind of pushing the idea of like carbon removals is um, this superior way of or a new and a different way of dealing with climate change and it's one way that allows you to not only deal with mitigation but actually removal uh, removing past emissions uh, once you're actually at zero emissions truly zero emissions So we think it's really interesting, but also we have this, there's this whole, and we've done podcasts on around the token and the role of the token and making that market, you know, liquid and allowing speculation and allowing, you know, a commodity that can only be, or an asset that can only be sold once and not resold. And how does all that work? So without getting the mechanics on that, it's just a lot to kind of wrap your head around. And so I think the big aha was let's just sell these for cash. Let's, let's get this like actually functional sell them for cash and and see what we can do. The actual carbon removal. The carbon removal, yeah. Let's sell the carbon removals for cash and let's make it happen. Let's make it happen like
0: in three months. Without the token really being involved. Yeah, and the
2: token was somewhat involved, but it's very much in the background. So the supplier, Trey Hill of Harborview Farms, did get one token per Nori removal ton or NERT so the token was somewhat involved, but the buyer didn't have to buy tokens or transact in tokens. They just showed up, put in a credit card number,
4: and got card removals. No one needed to understand what the tokens were or, or how they worked or in order or to buy. You can sign up for a NORI a account. Yeah. Like right. so we dramatically simplified
2: things, which made it easier for us to actually launch something sooner, which made it easier for people to actually participate. Like it just lowered the floor. And it also was a pivot to some extent to anybody who wants to buy right like to consumers or to small businesses it wasn't just like hey let's do these big deals with big companies that are coming in and spend lots and lots of money that we still think that that's where a lot of the you know transactions or volume is going to happen but it also let us kind of open the door to anyone and get some traction and traction we got and a lot of learnings and it was a crazy you know few months felt like kind of running a marathon just trying to get
0: that out the door and yeah but this is you're you're referring to the the summer period?
2: Yeah, so this is getting into like late summer, early fall, uh, so kind of August through October um, uh, timeframe.
0: So that's uh, in the heart of the
1: TechStars time.
2: Yeah, that was TechStars. But you guys I'm were kind
0: of split. I guess Jason, you're in Phoenix all the time, anyways. But
1: yeah, in the the heart of the TechStars bits of of all the people in this room, I think I was you know one of the the people that was there most during the actual TechStars stint. Um. So, while while being remote isn't anything new to, to me, what was new for me and what was new for kind of Nori was we started to, and, and I, I don't know if we were ever consciously aware that there were kind of like these silos inside of our company where, you know, BizDev was working, you know, independent of uh, products and, you know, we'd have BizDev kind of heading one direction and, and product, it stays closely tied, you know, with meetings here and there, but there was there was never really like an entanglement. There was never a need or a disruption where we're like, okay, well, we've got things being said here and we've got things being built here and they're not really lining up. And so when we, when we went to TechStars, and when, um, you know, the few of us that were out there uh, full time, it was me from the product team. And then we had pretty much everyone else who was out there was from the biz dev team. So this, it was kind of like a brand new mashup of, well, here's a whole bunch of things that that's going on that were not, uh, obvious before just just because of the nature of you know silos, so yeah, I think I think TechStars was a, f- it was a phenomenal experience, and I, I think it really did put us in the right track by just kind of like shaking us up and saying, "Here, think about it this way," or "Here, here's a little bit of chaos, additional chaos to what you've already got." And I think that little bit more allowed us to get a little bit more focused. Allowed us to think about product releases in a way that wasn't, you know, we didn't think we needed to release something perfect, right? We, need, we could release something as we're going and kind of get that more iterative type release, which was very important. And I think that external pressure was was critical, specifically because it was like we were, again, going back to the all the different topics being super complex subject matter. It was a good uh, disruption.
2: It was definitely lowering the bar on kind of quantity, not quality. Right. Like, let's do less, still do it well.
4: But let's do less so we can get something out sooner. We don't need to build a marketplace to sell tons of carbon removal. Yeah, or, or not as complex a marketplace. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I think so. the the experience at Techstars or the experience of, you know, Techstars was held, you know, a little bit differently depending on whether you were there or whether you were not. You know, I, I think we've done lots of retros on these topics, but I'd be curious how you all perceived what I was just describing from, you know, operating still in Seattle as that was going on.
3: Well, I mean, I, I was one of the folks that stayed behind. <laughs> I, I chose to stay behind. It was my choice. But as a person that wasn't at Techstars, there, yeah, there, there were a lot of conversations about like, you know, now we've got two camps and we've got to pass information back and forth and make sure that we're all still working together. And that was, that was difficult, but I definitely look back at that time where people were at tech stars and feel pretty good about it because all of a sudden we were allowed to have certain kinds of conversations that before were kind of no fly zones. Like even the idea that we're going to start selling this stuff for cash. I mean, that was, I don't know how many times that was brought up before tech stars. And then all of a sudden tech stars happened and that was a possibility and that was super positive. And I think we'd be in a much different place today if that wasn't a thing.
4: I think that was something that we had been floating as part of product for a long time because our priority was just kind of to get people involved with what we were doing. And with business development, you know, they had been working on gathering requirements for like the carbon markets that exist today. What do they look like? What do we have to do to like get to where they are? And it was like a nice surprise to here after they had spent some time at tech stars that like okay we now see that in order to reach our goals it's starting to make a little more sense to take a step like this it's
0: funny for me to hear this from you guys because i've heard glimpses of this but this is a a great joke that i really like from bored to death where uh, John Hodgman and Jason Schwartzman are arguing. And Jason Schwartzman says, uh, it's like Rashomon. We all remember things differently. And John Hodgman says, that's not the Rashomon I remember. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so it, I love being on the inside of hearing uh, how you guys experienced this. Yeah. And then, of course, we read that book, Play Bigger, which led to this idea of doing uh, a lightning strike event, uh, which became the lightning sale which was Nori was offering for the first time to consumers, people were able to buy carbon removals from us. And I know that put a lot of pressure on you guys to to ship very quickly. It was a whole thing. That's where we're headed now, right? Are you content to move to this?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're in the thick of that. I mean, and I I, just to echo what Jason was saying and and part of what you were asking of how, what was that experience here in Seattle? uh, Because I too was stayed in Seattle, left behind.
0: Um, (laughs) You got Kirk Cameron. uh,
2: (laughs) You know, I liken it to, I think, Things were more fragmented, right? Because it used to be seven of the ten of us were here in Seattle, um, and then Jason was in Arizona, um, Alden's up in Vancouver, and Ryan's in Chicago. So we were a Seattle-centered company, to basically three of us in Seattle, and then Paul and Ross to some degree were kind of going back and forth. So we were more remote of a company, um, which had its own challenges and and was challenging, but we felt much more like a single team working towards a single goal, which is we're going to have this lightning sale. We're just going to focus on uh, Harborview Farms in Maryland as far as our supply, um, which we got about 14,000 nerds out of, uh, ended up. And we're going to get that from all the way over the finish line. We're going to get through quantification. We're going to get through verification. We're going to get through issuance. We're going to then sell them for real money to real people. So the clarity of that, the simplicity of that, that we could all just hold that in our heads and it was very easy to prioritize. Is this helping us do that? No, it's not. Great. Probably needs to go on the back burner unless there's really good reason for us to keep working on that. Like that was gold. And so I think that that was worth whatever pain there was in the complexities of collaborating and, and whatnot.
0: Do you think before that happened with the lightning sale that there just wasn't a coherent goal as much to come together around or? Absolutely not. No, it was. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think
2: that. No, there just wasn't like there it wasn't coherent enough. Was there goals were they somewhat coherent sure but i think like it just wasn't nearly that coherent and it wasn't coherent enough and we needed something that like crystal clear like do
0: or die like you got to do this
2: well it's not even like the like the urgency i think is also valuable like it's really nice to say like hey that's in a like a we want to do this in two to three months like it was a very like we want to have this done by demo day so we can get up on stage and say we sold them um and there was even some stuff we wanted some deadlines even earlier um that we didn't fully hit. We figured out how to stagger that, but we didn't have any, like all of our deadlines were like, yeah, we'd like to launch the market in 2020 or like late 2019 would be good, but you know, 2020. And like, I, I think that the level of urgency picked up a step. And I think of all the people that have worked on products before we were all like, heck yeah, like that <laughs> feels fantastic. Let's, let's turn up the juice a little, but also let's get like sharper in what we're focusing on, what we're not focusing on.
0: Was that your experience too?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was also, I mean, there was more, um, from the product team, I think that was very well received. It was, it was like, okay, yes, finally. Right. For others that very well could have been a a nerve wracking thing. Right. It's scary when you're, when you're building a market around a new idea, speaking from a non-product perspective and kind of assuming that role, you've got all of these ideas that you want to try out, but you're not, you haven't got all of the little details that are really worked out, and it can be very Scary or, or whatever else to be like okay well we're just going to launch this with half of the rules figured out right because then it's like well what if something goes wrong like we got to start over right that that can be the the assumption or the the mindset that you go into it if you kind of haven't done this kind of iterative type release before but I, I think we've we've gotten past all those hurdles and I think we're now working in a very uh, you know efficient and seamless way that was not uh, happening before TechStars.
2: I think there's that, that idea that like, don't let perfect be the enemy of done or of like, so I, I think that what we're working on is no doubt a very complex, uh, you know, beast. And so I think we were methodically working through things and trying to get it just right. The lightning sale really forced us to do is we need this to not be perfect. We need this to be done and it needs to be good. Right. And we need to make sure we're not boxing ourselves into a corner. We need to kind of like, uh, go faster. And in doing that, we uncovered things that we thought we had worked out. There were other things that we thought were going to be really hard that turned out to not be hard once we really dove in and said, let's lock this down. So like just that forcing function really pushed us through a lot of interesting open issues. And it was just so satisfying to close up so many of those.
0: What else was happening during this period? I see that you have a bunch of various issues denoted above of uh, struggles you had as a team. Why don't you someone walk me through this, take a crack at this list of, of pain points.
2: I I just threw out a few because I thought it was be interesting to talk about like what are some of at least from the product or technical side, what are some of the things we struggled with? And so some of the ones I threw out are, you know, I don't know if Jason Urchin wants to speak to blockchain. Like yeah. that's, we talk a lot about how that's an important part of us being transparent and open.
4: I'll just open up with implementing this kind of transactional service that allows people to pay money to receive. The carbon removal tons. like that was the easy part in all of it. Like scaling up this whole new service, this whole new side of our product, was like took a yeah, took a few days. like you know, it's it's a very common kind of pattern in software, but it's all those weird elements of how we were doing it where things got tricky. So, um, you know, with the lightning sale, it was how are we going to kind of collect the demand that we have for this product without being able to deliver it until a later date. And it took us a while to get that figured out.
2: We basically, we we were ready to start taking orders and we wanted to take orders and collect them, but we were still working through getting through verification and we felt confident enough that that was going to work out, but there was still like, things we were working out and how verification works and making sure. And so it was taking longer than expected. And so we were confident enough to take people's credit cards. Uh, We weren't going to charge them until we actually had them in hand, but we didn't want to start giving them out until it was fully, fully done through the process.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say there's, there's so many, it's, it's kind of strange, you know, looking back and, if you were to try to like expect, okay, which of these things is going to be the most difficult or which of these things is going to take the longest or the shortest, sometimes it's very hard to really estimate those things in advance. And it's it's not what it would be. It's just not obvious, right? And so while we had a lot of uh, success with like the the Stripe integration, that w- was a pretty smooth process. I don't think there were really any massive, you know, crazy things. It's like, oh, we have got to go and study a whole brand new topic and figure out what does this new tech look like? Or what does this thing, how did these two Bits plugged together, where we've got you know for the two years or so running up until the Lightning sale, um, we had this whole idea of a fully blockchain marketplace, right? Like everything being tokenized and having all these different moving parts that are part of larger nascent like tech stacks. And so, so one of those is one of ours, or one of our kind of you know Achilles' heel, if you will, is the blockchain. And so trying to figure out uh, a lot of these things and how we're going to actually get something to our users without having to spend, you know, a year plus in this development cycle of like, okay, well, this thing's too slow, or this thing crashes, or like, how do we, you know, deal with cards being charged out of sync with what's happening on the blockchain? And uh, what about refunds? And there's just a whole bunch of moving parts when you've got so many things. And when you when you're working with some of the newer technologies, Stripe is also new, but it's very widely used, right? It's a, it's a common thing that has a lot of support, it's got a, it's got a massive team. It's got lots of docs. It has to work seamlessly, right? It's, it's one of those things that, you know, uh, has whatever things it needs to abide by for a, a mass payment system. And then you've got the blockchain and you've got like no support system. You've got no one you can call up, right? You've got docs scattered because everything is very open source and um, you've got kind of this nature of open source systems. It's a fascinating thing, but uh, again, it goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, not needing to release the perfect thing first and so when we when we're dealing with all of these things, we're like, okay, what like minimum version of, of this working on the blockchain or or this, you know, working for uh, cash payments or tokens or whatever it is, can we achieve uh, to get it out to to the users? And I, I think we did find a good balance. I, you know, it's certainly not perfect. I, I wish the listeners at home could see how frustrating it is to put this stuff on the blockchain it is very much a nightmare. <laughs> Uh, but it is, what are some of the short,
2: like you talk about lack of documentation, but like you said, like a credit card transaction is near instant, Mm -hmm. whereas a blockchain is not instant.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about like the, that's the, the whole latency. I could go on, on that one, but I think a more interesting one or a more, um, one that might be a little more uh, easy to receive from uh, just our listeners would be like the fact that when you swipe a credit card, you're purchasing something, right? But it's it, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the road. Uh, you swipe a credit card, and you you get the goods, and you go home with a receipt, and you've got this receipt now, and it could be, you know, what, a 30 day grace period, let's say. And you're at that 27th day, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to return this now, and I'm going to go and uh, get this item back, and, you know, my credit card's going to get refunded it's not that easy with some of the stuff that we're having to deal with right we've got the fact that that can happen and then we've got this stuff that's being put onto a decentralized system of which we effectively don't control right it's it's just we're participating in it and so while we have you know things in place that we can that w- or there are things that are possible and things that we can do to you know sort of undo things by effectively erasing it by some blank data for instance um, it's not quite the same or, or it's not quite as easy as that there's there's all kinds of fees involved in kind of undoing that and then there's a crazy amount of
2: I mean for the most part it's not I mean the whole idea behind blockchain is you can't undo it it's immutable right so it's been written there and you could try to write over it perhaps but uh, like they're it's immutable, yeah. And so, like, that even involved us figuring out a return policy, and like, which there isn't one uh, once you buy it. Like, that's uh, and that seems there are other um, markets that have similar things with carbon offsets. Um, so, there were just things for us to work out, right?
1: And that's yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at, which is there are so many things that you just need to play out, right? But it, but again, it can get you into that vicious cycle of like, do we need to perfect this thing? Like, do we need to work out all of these rules right yeah. now? Understanding that we just needed to know enough. Right We needed to know enough about the various ways that we can approach it, rather than needing to build out all of the systems that are necessary to actually enact those steps. You know, finding that balance is a very critical part, I think, in uh, building any product, really.
4: Building a system that accommodates for something like refunds is, you know, obviously something we wanted to do, but when the question comes down to, what do we need to do to put this out there? it was pretty clear that this was the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, and one additional thing there is, you know, even the, the refund thing aside, you, you deal with the, uh, the serial numbers, right? Serialization.
4: <laughs> oh, oh. What even
0: is
1: that? Yeah. <laughs> You know, if you would have asked me at the end of last year, how long it would take for us to build out a serial system for these NRTs. Yeah, which,
0: what is an NRT, by the way? The
1: Nori removal ton. So the carbon removal that uh, users are buying, effectively what happens is we stamp on it a serial number, right? Like similar to a barcode on a a product or something like that, which gives it some kind of tracking and some uh, human readability ishness to it. And so what we're doing is effectively saying, okay, we've got some NRTs that are being issued by uh, our suppliers. They've removed carbon and we stamp a serial number on that and we say, it was uh, from this location and it was on this field and it was a range of NRTs one through a hundred, right? There's a hundred of them total for that field. Now, when a, a buyer comes along and they're purchasing those NRTs from the supplier, they also get a serial number that's stamped on that, that shows, okay, it was from this one or it was coming from here, but also it's got kind of like a numbering system as well. So it's, it's serial. And what becomes the problem there is as soon as you're dealing with this type of serialization, the type of serialization that we, I wouldn't say rushed, but it was, it was, uh, I think we spent as much time as we should have on it. And one of the quirks of it is that it is that sequential numbering. So it's, you know, if I buy one through 50, I'm the first purchase. The next person who comes along with the second purchase might buy 50, but they get numbers 50 through a hundred or 51 through a hundred. And effectively what that means is, let's say two people order these things at the same exact moment. Well, you've got to order those things before they go through, which when you've got centralized and and decentralized systems going on, the blockchain and Stripe, you've got to figure out how to synchronize those, right? It's it's kind of like orchestrating a, a really weird symphony.
3: And that wasn't even like the landscape there that you painted sounds pretty nightmarish and there's there's so many things that we had to discuss and pick apart to figure out exactly how to implement that idea. But we even had issues as a team coming together on like, how are we articulating what we're selling? Is it a thing that people want a stamped ID on? Or is it are they paying for a service? Are they paying for removal? And we had really lengthy conversations about, like, what is this NRT? What does it mean to people? What are the different flavors of our customers? Who are we trying to serve? Yeah, it it was really gnarly on the technical side. It was really gnarly on the business side to figure out how we're selling it and how we're messaging it. And I think we're still grappling with a lot of those issues. I
2: mean, the the name used to be a Carbon Rule Certificate or a CRC. So, like, that was even that. Like, when you say... You know, we gave Trey 14,000 nerds, right? He pulled down 14,000 tons. Is that serial number one? And then the next farmer comes in and gets serial number two. And then somebody comes and buys some of those and they get a part of serial number? Like, what are you even putting a number on was like part of it. And so I think some of our, even our nomenclature, I think, made that even harder. Of like, oh, it's a carbon removal certificate. Well, actually, the certificate is the thing. It's I often likened it to you buy shares in a company. You get a stock certificate for 50 shares and so really the thing people are buying is shares they're buying tons of carbon removal and the certificate is the thing that tells them how many tons they got and which tons they got and from where to kind of certify that
1: not to mention even the implications that then has on you know where we can take our product next right we have you know, tons and tons of things in the works. And, and one of the things that we've been talking about for a long time is like the API for reversing climate change, right? It's the, how do we uh, enable this for mass scale? How do we allow the operator of uh, some rideshare program, each of their users, they get to the end of the ride and they want to actually, you know, purchase some carbon removal and it gets tied into this API system. Or what if we want that baked into an Amazon product, right? You get to the checkout and it's part of that. You know, when we've got the serialization thing, like we've got to start thinking about okay, well, can we preallocate a serial number range? Like, can we give that and say, like, here you can sell that, and you know, put it in whatever uh, asynchronous system you've got, or you know, what what exactly do we need to do? And so there's there's all kinds of like moving pieces there when when we get into um, all of that and put it on the blockchain. So
4: boy, these um serial numbers sound really complex. I wonder why we thought this was something we needed and not something we just wanted for the future. (laughs) Ta-ta, the
2: drama. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there there was definitely contention even inside the team. And I think there was a real strong push to, can we just not do the serial numbers? And I think there were internal, you know, there there were other reasons to do it. um, And thinking long-term about how this works. And at the end of the day, I kind of, pushed this over the edge and said, we're just going to do this. And like, uh, I'm like, I'm going to push it through. We're going to figure out how to do it. And I get it's a pain in the butt, but we're just going to do it. You know, I, I think one of the reasons to do it that I think is easiest to relate to is you are buying something that is not a physical good you get to hold in your hands. You may get a physical certificate at the end of the day, but if my certificate looks just like like yours or like Jacob's, it makes it feel less real to me. So I think that part of the challenge is not only in our being successful is not only propping up a market, being, you know, honest, transparent, doing the right thing, like all the things that we're gonna do, but also perception is like convincing people that we're doing the right thing and that they're buying something real. And so to me, the serial number of, I got numbers 50 through a hundred, what'd you get? Oh, you got, you know, number 150 through 200. And then I can go back and look at Trey's farm and say, well, how many did he get? Oh, we got a thousand. And here's a list of who got each of those. And nobody else has numbers 50 through a hundred, uh, builds confidence and helps. This also helps down the road with larger businesses and accounting of them keeping track of what they allocate. And if I bought a bunch and I'm giving some to my offices and, you know, here are some of to the offices there. Like th- there's other reasons that I, I think we get into, but like, to me, that was the more human reason. I'm trying to make this intangible thing feel real.
0: Oh man, we've had so many conversations on the other side of the office about this too. What happens when you have multiple farmers? Is someone buying carbon removals from Nori going to be content with, you know, three from from this farmer, seven from this other guy? Because the customers now that buy offsets, I think many of them they're used to uh, being involved in the project development. They want to like know, like we are shepherding this from, from start to finish. And we know these people as opposed to buying something that's that's closer to a barcode. So how do you, but we want to get to a barcode area because that's much more scalable than this bespoke development process. But then how do you compensate for that? How do you tell that story? And that's where you come in, right, Jacob? This is like a lot of what you do <laughs> is presenting this information in a controlled, desirous kind of way.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's definitely tough. Like uh, if people are used to coming in and shopping for a project, if you come to what we have right now now for our registry which is beyond bare bones but if you find these these profile pages after you buy something like you get the narrative after the fact you're not coming to our website and saying like oh man yeah I really want to buy these nerds from this farmer tray. he seems like a cool dude let, let me get nerds from him like that's just not that's just not how it works so we have to try to kind of prop up the idea that our product is different from other people from a quality standpoint by making those kinds of comparisons before we actually get into the more interesting, more human story of like, who is Trey and where does this stuff come from? I think we do a good job trying to help people understand how you're helping people like Trey before they hit the purchase button. Like, I I think that that is fair to say that we do a decent job there. I I think we could do more, but this problem is only gonna get more complicated the more suppliers we have in our ecosystem. So it's definitely an evolving thing, and we've taken a first stab at it, but there's a lot more work to do.
2: Two small things to add on that. I liken it to like Priceline, right? Like you're you're buying plane tickets on an airline, but you don't necessarily know in advance you're looking for a good price or a good product or other attributes, and it's not typically how people have bought them. And I hope that we have more, even more success with it. And we're not trying to say, oh, this is bargain basement, you're trying to get the cheapest price, and we're not gonna tell you who it is, but it is just kind of back to like how this scales. When I go buy a tube of toothpaste, I'm not looking for, was this the one that was made in Mexico or this was the one that was made in like, you know, South Mexico or this one that was made in like Texas or like, I'm looking for, you know, is this Colgate or maybe a brand? So this is like Nori carbon removal and, you know, the exact story and narrative, like, like Jacob said, comes after.
3: I knew you were a Colgate guy. (laughs) I knew it.
1: I'm
2: actually a Tom's guy. They're not going
1: yeah. I'm not. Um, I'm not surprised you could tell when you're having um, to get that close together.
3: A, <laughs> yeah, they're sharing a mic. Um, um, I can smell the minty. It's, it's good. Uh, I do think there's more we can
2: do, and I think we will. I think it will get more interesting. I think that this is how it scales, right? Like you imagine, like the microtransactions of you just finished, you know, your car share ride. Would you like to offset the the footprint of that? Cool. Pick a project. And now I'm going to sip through these and like, I'm supposed to figure out which one, like that's ridiculous. So I think, especially when you think like at like the microtransaction level, like that just doesn't work at all. And I think even for large companies buying this, can all large companies afford to pay someone full time to go out and visit all these projects? Or if large companies want to like Microsoft just announced, they're not going to just remove, you know, their current emissions and even not just scope one, but actually scope two, scope three. And past emissions at that scale, when you get to that scale, can you afford to go visit the like hundred different farms that are doing this and like shake hands with the Like, no, you can't. So at the scale to deal with climate change, that doesn't work anymore. So we're trying to escape to where the puck is going. And I know the other thing I was going to say is we still want to try to honor the desire to support, you know, local projects or support the people, you know, or like, so I think in the auction, I, I think eventually we will have an auction. And eventually we will let you say, I'd love to buy from this state or this county or this location. Like I have a preference. And if you can meet that preference, great. Uh, if you can't, that's okay. Or maybe even if you can't meet that preference, I don't want to buy. So, I mean, I think there's ways of letting people try to say, I have a preference of buying in this area, or this region. I don't know if it gets down to like this specific supplier, you know, long-term, but I, I think that we can still try to honor what people are like. There's good intentions behind that. and It's not to say we think they are foul. Or bad, but I think that they don't work with where we think we where we see this going. And so we're not trying to prioritize them.
0: Yeah. Mike has been dropped. Anything else in here? I assume that's supposed to be ACH and not ACK. No, it was like ACK. Oh, oh, ACK. ACK. <laughs> Credit card fees. <laughs> Credit card fees. Okay.
2: I, I yeah, I don't know if there's anything to talk about that other than like we are a very low margin business. We take ten percent additional fee to the buyer and three of that of the 10. So 30% of that goes to Stripe. So we love you, Stripe. You've been very easy to work with. And I, you know, and part of that's Visa and whoever, like the credit cards, not all going to Stripe, but like also hack credit card fees. Um, so yeah, we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do about that. Cause that's a big chunk out of a small, small pie.
0: Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, why don't you take us to act three here? I guess this is the live sale, which is getting we're in this phase now, technically, where the live sale is still ongoing, but this is the beginning of the live sale. That's the next big step you guys had. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think that this sort of happened towards the end of tech Start. like the live sale to us, this is like internal semantics on, uh, we had a pre-sale and then we had a live sale. Pre-sale was, Hey, we're trying to wrap, like, and I say, we are trying to wrap up verification, but really the verification was done by a third party verifier. So we had very little to do with that other than setting the guidelines. So. That was more of Trey and the Verifier working through that and making sure all the owners signed on to the projects being registered. As that was playing out, we we're taking these pre-orders for something that we were fairly confident we would have. Then we had it, then we executed those pre-orders, and then we you know took a, a week or two to kind of finish revamping things so that as soon as you order, you get the certificate immediately, um, and Trey's you know amount gets stocked immediately. So that we launched um, in December. Like mid December, like right before. Yeah, break. the
4: day before we left for break, if yeah. I remember correctly. A yeah.
2: <laughs> little, a little cutting uh, kind it. Of, not typically just in time. Just in, just time. time. just in time. Just in time. Well, I think there was like a lot of like us going back and executing the pre sales and making sure everything was going to blockchain right and getting the serial numbers right. Like that was a lot of, we are, there's only so much QA you can do, but we're also like doing these very carefully and making sure everything is working correctly. Our I's are dotted, our T's are crossed, et cetera. And then in the, at the same time as we're ramping that up, I think, especially you and I, Jacob, we're working a lot on kind of planning and doing retro on like, okay, we just did this whole thing. We can't just keep doing it this way, right? Like that is not going to scale. How are we going to do this better? What, what can we learn? So that was a whole nother piece of that. But let's talk about the live sale first. Um, maybe throw it at Richie and Jason. Jason, you said you can remember the joys of closing up the... The pre-sale and switching into the live sale. Yeah.
1: I mean, a lot of my memories there, you know, Richie Richie did handle a lot of the live sale migration when we went from the uh, pre-orders to the actual live sale. Um, and a lot of my nightmares and uh, fears and everything of the like uh, had to do with, you know, closing out really the the end of the, the pre-sale. So that was things like, you know, okay, we got to start writing stuff to the blockchain and making sure everything goes right. And we've got to think about building out that system for, you know, what we're doing for, for the live sale or, or really rather where we're trying to move this or what direction we're trying to move this further into the live sale.
4: So, yeah, moving from the, the pre-sale, the lightning sale to the live sale was definitely a, a little bit of a sweaty transition, uh, not just by virtue of the time constraints we we put on ourselves, but also because the nature of the lightning sale meant that we could execute on these pre-orders at our own pace. You know, we could be in control of that process and and have oversight on it from beginning to end, in case, God forbid something went wrong. And when it came to launching the live sale, that wasn't really gonna be an option anymore. Because someone was gonna be able to come to the website, you know, say I wanted to buy X amount of carbon mm-hmm. and then pay for that. And then get the certificate and be able to see that. And like, simple idea, but as we've discussed, like there's a lot of complex things that are happening when you're purchasing this product. And there are a lot of moving parts that all need to move perfectly together for all the people that are going to come to this page and check out.
1: Yeah, like there there were tons of tools we had to build in our back We have a Uh, a little tool that helps us kind of manage and view and um as we were going through that kind of migration from from pre-orders to live sale like we built out the admin tools for pre-orders which is it's shockingly different than you know how it happens for the live sale because you've got like kind of like a multi-step process where like okay click a button to charge the card and uh uh-oh card's no longer good or it expired Got to manage it a little bit differently there and then we've got the live sale which is happening it's like okay swipe the card and we've got to start building out okay uh, do we have some kind of error reporting do we have some kind of slack integration um all of these various things so yeah i mean in the end it turned out well
4: oh yeah went great
1: we survived <laughs> but uh it was uh richie was, doesn't write code with bugs so no, that really helps not oh. once it's very convenient yeah. i uh have some evidence
4: so <laughs> it's not true <laughs>
0: What?
4: <laughs> yeah, don't go through our commit logs. <laughs>
2: but, but the short of it is still like back to the serialization and the blockchain. Like those two and just
1: like... It's still unsolved, are, yeah. Are, are,
2: are those two things were part like a good shorthand for what makes this hard. Right. And like we've got it in a good place, but there's still work to be done there
4: that we will continue to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it worked for us. It's It's been going, I think, Pretty darn well, we're about to sell out if we haven't already, like we've got a chunk like set aside for some big purchases coming in and
2: this might shift into kind of scaling up in Q1 and that's been exciting. And, you know, and I don't want to steal Alessandra's thunder and I don't think we're ready to talk about any of those, but we definitely have had, it feels like, you know, kind of the sales side and demand side has been picking up and there's people showing up, continue to show up, you know, at the website to buy smaller chunks. Um, sometimes bigger chunks, but there's definitely people showing up to buy thousands through direct sales and through
0: Alessandra.
3: And we did virtually no marketing for no. most of this. I mean,
0: hey man, what are you what are you trying to say over, over here?
3: <laughs> we well, did, I, I'm trying to say we have yeah. no marketing Thank budget. Thank so We didn't do a whole lot of marketing with our a boosted purse is not an ad. There you
2: go. There you go.
0: Yeah, there's a uh, whole lot of that. Uh, Let's move on from there. I, <laughs> okay. I prefer it that way, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> You were hinting at this, though, about scaling up. So this is now the current phase that we are in. Yeah. Is trying to just scale and keep developing the the tech that you've deployed.
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, this is all hands-on. I mean, I, I think that we're... I, I liken it to, like, we finished a marathon and then immediately changed our shoes and started running an Ironman. And so I think that we were able to get things done, but we knew that wasn't scale. And so immediately we turned... Like to the work of launching the live sale so we're not babysitting this thing and it's kind of running on its own uh, with us running support and making sure and then immediately after that we turn to like all the stuff that jacob and i working with ryan and christoph kind of laid out as what could have gone better with the lightning sale where did things go slow where can we make things faster and prioritizing that down to a subset of okay what are we actually gonna make better in q1 And that turning into priorities for development and for product and for supply as well and how product and supply works together. And so we're in the thick of that. I'd say like a good shorthand for I'll lay out three things that we're doing. One is one of the big bottlenecks is to quantify how much carbon was removed. We use a model based approach, uh, a partnership with Comet Farm and the Decent model, which is one of like 45 different empirical models and tables that um, they use to estimate how much additional CO2 is brought down through the change of practices. so new practices versus old practices on a specific field for a specific set of time. To run that, we need a fairly detailed history of how the land was managed at the field level, um, going all the way back to, to the year 2000 and then even some high level questions before that. Getting that is very challenging, very challenging. And we also need a projection of what do you think, how do you think you're going to manage it over the next ten years? That's easier to get uh, and has less bearing on quantification because we aren't we aren't giving you uh, nerds for what you might do in the future. We're doing we're giving you nerds for what you have done in the past. So getting that full history, I think, is a big part of what we're doing to scale up. Is to how do we make that easier? The farmers' step one is we've got great partners like Granular, where farmers are using that to manage their farm, and we work with them to import basically the history that they already have. So let's say I get five years or eight years of history out of something like granular. That's great. That gets us me all the way back to 2012. What happened before then? Should the farmer step in and say field by field, year by year, input by input? And this is how much fertilizer I put on in 2006 on the corn and on this field, but it was different on this. Like, sure, that's great if they've got the time to do that. And we certainly welcome to do that. But we are finding other ways and working with also the methodology team and alden on what is acceptable what needs to be verified what impacts the model to basically use other tools like the cdl uh, cropland data layer which uses through satellite imagery detects what crops were on the field at various points in the past i could go on and on and on about this and i don't want to go on it too deep into it but like the shorthand is import what we can from platforms we have partnerships with try to detect the rest um, and see how far that gets us and see what holes remain and, how, and figure out how to ask the farmer to fill in those holes in kind of more high-level ways. Walk through a wizard instead of filling out all the detailed, you know, fields for every shield. So that's a lot of what we're working on on the supply side.
1: Uh, yeah, I like to describe that kind of shift as like, we're started at, tell us everything about you, right? And now we're going into a place of, well, here's what we think you did. Tell us where we went wrong.
2: Well, just log in with your Facebook account, and that'll tell us everything we need to know. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> Sorry, coming from next <laughs>
1: Facebook. Uh... I, I
3: think Michael, you you asked me this interesting question. It really stuck with me. I think you've asked me this more than once, but it it was kind of like Jacob, when you joined this company, did you realize how much you were going to need to learn about farming? And I think I always answered like maybe a little bit, but like no, not not to this degree. I mean, we're getting into the like super fine grain details of like what people are doing on their fields and how they apply fertilizer and manure and all all of these things that are basically like we've all had to become as a team somewhat well-versed and how this stuff works, at least enough to talk about it and how it relates to model and quantification and all these other things. It's pretty wild stuff. And I'm actually pretty impressed with a group of people that had no knowledge have ramped up on a lot of these things. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Indiana, so, like, I grew up next to a cornfield, but that doesn't mean I know, like, how any of that stuff works at all. I just know how corn smells. So, that's where I started.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm from Texas. I know what a cow looks like.
0: There you go. You're fully qualified to work at Nori, it sounds like. <laughs>
2: no, but you're right. Like, I mean, you have to understand the boundaries of what is possible and likely to support that in the product, right? Like, we've, we've been getting into perennials lately. Like, yeah, I planted this in 2011, and then I didn't really remove it from the field until 2017, and I did harvest. I'm um, like, oh, okay, how are we going to capture that? And we thought we'd taken care of that, and we didn't fully grab it, and so we're, we're closing that gap. So finding those gaps and it constantly reinforming how do you write software for farmers, um, you know, and, and for everyone else, so you're very smart, capable people. And we just don't have the expertise that they have. We don't have the knowledge base that they have. So,
3: and then how do you bubble that up into this is why our product quality is, is better than other things like the, taking it from that super low level all the way up to this is what defines our product is an ever evolving story that we are constantly trying to figure out how to, how to say it better.
0: I think I'm gonna pat myself on the back a little bit here. I think I, the podcast is good because I'm often programming content that I think is good and I would want to listen to. But how do you build a product for someone that you don't actually? Maybe they were your neighbors once upon a time growing up, but you are not a farmer. How does one even even do something like that? Smelling corn. Yeah, you smell corn. You smell cows. <laughs> boom, you're done.
3: There's more to it. I, you talk to them. I mean, Michael does this more than anybody else on the team. I mean, these, these calls go on for hours where we sit down and onboard farmers and say, hey, what what are you doing? Let's go through all the different things that are required for the model. When's, when's the last time that you, you made a, a shift of this kind in your practices? I mean, it's uh, we started with no script. And every time we talk to somebody, I feel like it gets a little bit better. But that is kind of the intersection of where what I would call our supply team meets our product team so this is one of the other really great outcomes that came from TechStars. is that that wall is now dissolved and we're working a lot more closely together than we ever have before which is really great it feels really good to to be where we are right now
0: it's like you're pretty well integrated with with ryan and christoph and and alden and you're coming together and finding ways of, of building out these designs in the software so that it actually makes sense from the user experience that you do not directly have is that broadly correct?
3: Yeah. And Ish, I, yeah. I, I think uh, one, one of the misconceptions with how product works for people that aren't product people is you're going to come in and you're going to hit a home run. And that's just not how it works. Like you come in, you create something interesting so that the right people can use it. You can watch them use it and then learn from it. That's the much faster way to get to something quality than saying like, hey, we're, we're not going to release this to people until it's 100% right and that's definitely a shift in our thinking not just as a product team but as a company like even going back to the lightning sale like that's we had very grand ideas this this is a company of visionaries uh and we have very big ideas about where we want things to go i think it's very hard for us sometimes to take the first step because we're constantly looking at version 20 version 40 whatever you want to call it lately we've been talking about a leveling system i won't get into that (laughs) um but yeah i mean it's just really like um there's this really uh, a great quote i don't know where it comes from but every designer has heard it is if you release a product and you feel good about it then you waited way too long to get it out there (laughs) like you're supposed to be embarrassed when you put this stuff in front of people and they start using it like that's that's how ideally it goes but it's you know Like it's, it can be painful. So we're working on it.
0: What do we have to look forward to with the rest of the quarter? I feel like we're absolutely, you
2: know, whereas we started this podcast and we started this, uh, you know, you go back a year and some change at like the Ford contract auction, uh, which I think is an important piece, but not the piece that we should have been working on at that time. There's no doubt in my mind that we're, we're working on the absolutely right things right now. So I'm really excited about that. I feel like we're working better, better together. And I'm just excited about looking forward to the fruit of of that, you know, working on the right things, working better together, to scale up, you know. So I, I want to see more supply. I want to see more farmers, uh, and I want to see the rate at which, you know, how many people. Our OKRs, our, our goals for this quarter, are around like certain rates of enrollment, certain rates of quantification, verification, and and those are pretty audacious. And so I'm excited about achieving those, and the net effect of that is a more healthy marketplace that continues to mature and grow, and and then allows us to come back and add things like auctions to allow even more people to work with us and be uh, you know part of this in, in other interesting ways, as well as like APIs or microtransactions, another really interesting slice of this whole thing,
4: and all of that works out of this thing continuing to mature and grow. We've learned a lot since last summer. Oh yeah, and. This next quarter is breaking all of that new information down, all this great signal that we've received from launching our lightning sale and going and selling our product.
1: Yeah. The, the way I like to think of that, and Richie and I have talked a lot about this kind of metaphor of how we built uh, the engineering side of, or the product side really of, of what we're doing, we've got now a foundation and we've got up the scaffolding and now we're trying to you know, remove and put back things in in place.
4: Uh, that are better than they were before. Yeah. Now we get to execute on all those things that we learned. So...
0: I'm not sure what kind of person listens to an episode like this. I don't know if they're just a completist who wants to get through the entire <laughs> every episode ever, or because different episode topics definitely are you have telling different. Me we just
2: wasted our time. Ross?
0: No, I am not. What I'm saying is this episode is more uh, highly niched than other episodes that are more for a general audience. So I imagine mm. that there are more people listening now who may be in a relevant field to product and maybe on the job hunt. And I know
1: um, we're coming for you, job seekers.
0: Yeah, we're, we're still working on fundraising. And in the next coming months, hopefully that's that's done uh, for the foreseeable future. and We'll have enough funding to to really grow the product side of the team. What kinds of people are you looking for, both roles and personality traits? Or how do they think? What kind of people would make up a future
4: Nori product department?
3: Make sure that they have strong opinions and like to talk. Oh, uh, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: we, we don't. We, that,
4: no. Strong opinions. Hold them loosely.
2: Yeah. I think that's, I often like to say that I I I think I, I frequently have strong opinions and I try to hold them loosely. I would say we have a culture of getting into the weeds together and really trying to let anybody, you know, let, let the pertinent people weigh in. We do not subscribe to a waterfall method. I think as far as specific skills and roles like engineering, man, like we have a, a designer and two engineers and then a product director, whatever that used to be a designer. Uh, like I'm not used to working at those kind of ratios, so we need more engineers. So I think some, you know, a senior engineer, a you know, engineering director, you know, I think those, those are some of the roles we'll be looking for first.
0: Yes. And then we'll obviously announce this social media. If you follow us there, if you subscribe to the Nori newsletter, I'm sure it'll come up on the podcast too. So it sounds like engineering, you don't need any more designers floating around at the moment.
2: That will come too. like right now. I think Jacob's holding down the fort pretty well. So I, I would say, and if- I'm not. And yeah. we've got some design minded people. I think, you know, Richie doesn't do too, he's not too shabby. So I think that um, I would say, you know, e- emails, you know, email me if you want, Legit at nori.com if you're listening to this and you're curious. And so you don't have to like listen, and I will we'll put you in a folder and then reach out when uh, we're ready. But,
0: um, but yeah. I'm sure we'll post it various places too. There's a there's a cool new site you may have heard about called climate.careers. Mm-hmm. There's also jobs. If you're looking right now and you're not content to wait for whatever Nori has to come, there's a bunch of jobs that are going up all the time over there that I keep getting their announcements and it seems like a good place to look. But yeah, thank you for listening. Is there anything else that we should even say? Anything you're going to feel bad about not saying? Everyone
4: is happy slash silent. I mean, thanks for like... For the listeners here who yeah. have used our product in, in any capacity, oh gosh, yes. um, and I, you know, either supported us through purchasing tons or enrolling data, or you know, just showing Investing. interest and and spreading the the kind of energy that we need to to launch this thing, like yeah. and yeah. our
1: suppliers for providing With us a, or, yeah. a yeah. place to build the markets and uh, yeah, partners, yeah, granulars and. Uh, all of the Comet Farm and the likes in the world. I mean, without, without all of these people who are involved, the buyers, the suppliers, our partners, none of this would be possible. So, Thank you, Trejo. And yeah, listeners like it. you. Harbinger of the nerds. Harbinger <laughs> of the nerds?
3: There's a, there's a really funny uh, office meme that Richie made. Maybe sometime it'll, it'll end up on the website as an Easter egg. No. Probably not. Is this
0: the Super Saiyan one? No, yeah. I have
3: some awesome pictures of Trey.
0: I'm a big Trey fan. What can we're, I say?
3: Yeah, we're, we're all big <laughs> Trey fans. Uh,
2: Trey is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's one of the things that is the most joyful moments in working here is talking to pretty much anyone, especially anyone outside of this company. Uh, not that the people inside the company are bad, but like just, it's, it's such a team sport, right? Like, Working on climate change is going to take so many different people from so many different roles. And so it's just really exciting to get to know anybody working on a slice of this and whether it's learning about what they're doing through the podcast or otherwise, but, or actually getting to work with them, you know, having their work contribute to making this happen. Like, it's just really, really exciting.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for being here, walking down the hall, putting on headphones, saying things that will be on the internet in perpetuity. (laughs) That's good. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Unless you're
2: putting on blockchain, it's, it'll eventually <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> go away. Uh, uh. And get me started. Wow.
0: What a callback. Okay. Uh, if you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. Tell your friends. Tell someone who is looking to work in climate change, who works in software currently. There's actually a lot of people who are moving in that direction. People want to be doing stuff that makes a difference. Send this their way. Maybe they'll start their own company. Maybe they'll come work here. Maybe they'll find something else. And thank you so much for listening.